On this edition of Kiwi Tripsters, we cruise the waters of the Marlborough Sounds, soaking up the scenery and history. We enjoy some vine time in Blenheim, and we take you to Rotorua, where so many adventure opportunities await. Plus, we're joined by the Regional Vice President of Qatar Airways to take the pulse on the global outlook. Welcome back to Kiwi Tripsters. Buckle up and take off to spectacular destinations as we continue our journey and share the inside word on all things travel. Whether it's luxury travel or backpacking on a budget, whether it's cruising or foodie trips, we've got you covered with top tips and tricks so you can have an amazing travel experience. And now, over to your hosts, Mike Yardley and Chris Lynch. Welcome aboard to another edition, a fresh edition of Kiwi Tripsters. I'm Chris Lynch. I'm Mike Yardley. Very good to be with you. Nice to see you, Mike. Now, we begin with the marbles of the Marlborough Sounds, which are packed with beautiful sightseeing options. I want to start with Queen Charlotte Sounds because I often think this place is a little bit forgotten about, but in a good way because it's never too busy the last time I was there. Well, I suppose the busiest uh, aspect to Queen Charlotte Sound, Chris, is when the inter-islander ferries rock through to reach Picton. But I think what makes that sound in particular uh, such a winner from a traveller's perspective is you've got so many day trip options, lots of uh, excursions you can take to have a really good sample of Queen Charlotte Sound. I love the return day trip to Ship Cove, which uh, also allows you to walk a chunk of the Queen Charlotte track to Furneaux Lodge before you take the boat back to Picton all in one day. And what um, makes Ship Cove so special, Chris, is I think Mm. in many respects it's our national cradle. Captain Cook considered it his favourite place in New Zealand. He went there on five separate occasions, and he did actually peacefully engage with the local iwi. Um, And they were able to actually reconnect with their Polynesian history whenever Cook rocked into town because he had Tupaya from Tahiti on board as mm. his translator. I'm surprised so, we're allowed to even talk about Captain Cook these days. Well, there is a bit of that, Chris. <laughs> uh, but there's a fantastic memorial to Captain Cook at Ship Cove, which I think is lovely. And they've also installed a, a PO um, as uh, a marker to um, the uh, – the Maori history of the area. But um, if you want to do the walk, that first section of the Queen Charlotte track goes from Ship Cove to Ferno Lodge. It is a bit of a gut buster, probably similar to your bridal uh, path walks, Chris. Good. That sounds um, good to me. But the views are absolutely sensational, and you'll see so many lovely little nooks like Resolution Bay and Endeavour Inlet uh, as part of your walk. Now, the food at Ferno Lodge looked quite good. Thank you very much. I am in love with popcorn clams. Are you? They've become my food of the season. What on earth is a popcorn clam? <laughs> well, um, it is basically a clam shell that, yes. um, well, the clam meat itself, which is then wrapped in a in a very sort of crunchy batter, mm. a bit like popcorn. Very, very nice. Now you're um, talking. I also had wild pork croquettes, which were particularly tasty, although I was reflecting on the fact that it was actually James Cook who introduced pigs to New Zealand. Mm. So maybe in those wild pork croquettes, I was eating, you know, 
the the descendants of those original pigs. Um, history you can taste, perhaps. Uh, and the other really cool thing about Ferno Lodge, which uh, is also a fabulous place to stay if you want to have an extended break in the area, is there is this fabulous wee walk about 10 minutes from the lodge to one of New Zealand's largest and oldest trees, a one thousand year old Rimu. Wow. And uh, they've recently put a, a viewing boardwalk a boardwalk around the roots of the tree just to safeguard it, but it's an absolutely stunning specimen, this one thousand year old Rimu. I didn't even know you can get trees that old in mm. New Zealand. Excuse my ignorance. That must be pretty spectacular. Does it look Fabulous. ancient? Does it look kind of... Yeah, it does. It looks like it's wow. seen it all, Chris. <laughs> well, it has. Now, listen, let's move further north, Picton-wise. Mm. Picton's become quite the poster child of all things tourism. Did you check out yeah. the Edwin Fox? This is an amazing old sailing ship, the Edwin Fox, yeah. and I've seen it from a distance uh, in its shed uh, from time to time over the years, but I've only recently been to actually see it up close. And it's the only surviving ship that transported convicts to Australia. It also carried a lot of settlers to New Zealand, even carried troops in the Crimean War. So a bit like the 1,000-year-old Rimu tree. It's seen a lot of history, this ship. Um, and... Uh, it is beautifully curated, all of this history in the adjacent museum on the Picton waterfront. But what I love about the Edwin Fox is you can walk down into its hull and up onto its deck. You can see the bunk beds that were previously slept in by Australia-bound convicts from the UK. So there is a really palpable sense of history all over the ship. What about the Polaris Sound and that mail boat? Yes, if you're looking for a fabulous day out, um, heading west from Queen Charlotte Sound, Polaris Sound, from Havelock, um, this cruise, the mailboat cruise, um, celebrated its centenary just a couple of years ago, and apparently it's the most popular scheduled cruise in the Marlborough Sounds. An all-day cruise that takes you deep into Polora Sound and then out uh, into what they call the Outer Sounds around Maud Island um, as the boat drops off mail and groceries to all of these people living in far-flung outposts. Um, And it's amazing the stories and the people that you meet uh, as part of the stay trip. I met an online maths teacher who is living like deep in the forest wow. uh, from Palora Sound, an online shoe trader um, who's, you know, managing to carve out a living deep in the sounds. Uh, I had a brief encounter with a farming farming family, the Foots, and they have been tending to their massive Wilson's Bay farm uh, through five generations going back to the 1880s. Uh, and the That's wi- cool. Yeah, the wildlife in Palora Sound is absolutely superb. You'll see penguins bobbing up and down hmm. in the water all day long as you deliver the mail to the residents. It's amazing the people you meet while out on the cruise. Yeah. How many mussels did you get down you? Well, I devoured quite a few, Chris, and the <laughs> place to do it is the Mills Bay Muscle tasting room and eatery. It's located in the Havelock Marina. So when you get back from your mail boat cruise, mm. uh, that's the place to head for a bit of a feast. Um, and you can gorge yourself, stupid, on the freshest mussels imaginable. You'll actually see where they are uh, growing as such in Palora Sound as part of that mail, uh, mail boat cruise. I had a dozen. I had half a dozen au naturel raw shucked mussels. And then I had another half a dozen in this lovely Asian mint dipping sauce, which Yum. was absolutely sensational. Um, but yeah, they really are the taste of the sounds. Cruises and mussels, nothing like it. It's Kiwi Tripsters. 
You're with Kiwi Tripsters as we sample the delights of Marlborough. And after you've had your, well, all your cruises and all your beautiful muscles and uh, your watery pursuits of the sounds, wine country is waiting for you, Mike. It mm. always is. Wrapped around Blenheim. Where on earth do we start here? Yeah, it's a good question because the Marlborough Wine Trail can strike uh, first time as a bit of a head swell because you've just got so many possibilities in our largest wine growing region. Marlborough still produces 75% of New Zealand's wine. I still really like Yeelands Estate in the Awatiri Valley. I would start there and I like it not just for its Sav Blanc, but the scenic thrills of that estate mm. um, because Yeelands straddles Seaview Peninsula. So you get Get the most incredible views across the countryside. Um, the North Island, it, it feels like it's so close on a clear day you can touch it. Yeah. Uh, that's the sort of sensation you get from their estate. And they've got this fabulous free-to-drive white road tour around the vineyards, which is a classic. Um, when you've done that, I would be heading into Blenheim and uh, following some of the main routes uh, to the likes of Rock Ferry, which is a fabulous organic uh, vineyard in Blenheim. Uh, their wines are absolutely superb. Definitely try their Pinot Blanc, which is not a common variety in New Zealand. And if you want your she-she glamour, this would be Chris Lynch, mm-hmm. uh, Cloudy Bay. Their cellar door experience is absolutely superb. Their $10 wine tastings also include bubbles, so you'll be um, <laughs> uh, drinking their Pallora Sparkling NV. And also, if you feel like um, oysters, head to Jack's Raw Bar at Cloudy Bay, um, where, yeah, you can sort of pair your, your bubbles with your oysters. It is a really popular summer spot. I'm sure it will be again this summer. Uh, and right across the road, another really cool winery from Cloudy Bay across the road, Alan Scott's Fabulous Winery. Oh, nice. Now, the whole deal with um, organic wine, mm. I always feel like if I buy organic wine, I won't get a hangover because <laughs> it must be slightly better for you because it has less acid and, yep. you know what I mean? Yep. Acidity. Sulfates. Yes. Yeah. It's probably mine never matter, but it always makes me feel better. It makes yeah. me feel better when I buy a more expensive bottle of wine too. You think, well, that's good. Um, it's going to be healthier. Well, it was weird. When I was at Rock Fury doing their wine tasting and they are totally organic, mm. they, they've taken like organic to like a um, – um, hyper level. Um, mm. They're just absolute sticklers for it. The wine tasted really clean. And I know that's Isn't a weird thing to say, but Is that it? was the impression I was getting from sampling it. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Now, um, the craft beer scene yeah. in Blenheim, that's um, coming up to be, to be quite the thing now, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And um, you've got a lot of options uh, on the craft beer front alone, which is interesting because uh, probably the best known example of this would be Moa, Moa Brewery. And interestingly, it was Alan Scott of Alan Scott Winery's mm. son, Josh, who created, who was the brainchild of Moa Brewery, which would probably be one of New Zealand's most award-winning craft beer enterprises. So you'll definitely want to head there. It's just down the road, actually, from Cloudy Bay uh, on Jackson's Road. And then in the heart of town in Blenheim, I absolutely love this place called the Dodson Street Beer Garden. It is like something out of Germany. Um with an old-time beer hall, mm. fabulous outdoor seating area. They'll have, like, live concerts in their beer garden, um, attracting hundreds of people. Um, it's also home to the Renaissance Brewing Company, which is another fabulous 
craft brewer. Uh, and they've got 21 craft beers on tap at Dodson Street Beer Garden. Um, so you'll certainly be in craft beer heaven. Absolute smash hit. Did you look at the Aviation Heritage Centre not far off? It is an absolute essential when you're in Blenheim, Chris. It is so good. Omaka Aviation Heritage Centre. Uh, the the theatre that they bring to the displays mm. is just so enthralling. And the collection is about to grow. So you can have a look at the World War One fighter aircraft, the World War Two displays, and then that's about to be joined by the collection that was amassed by um, a chap called John Smith. And it was very much a backyard shed collection he had of aviation uh, memorabilia. And a lot of that is going to be restored and uh, be put on show at Omaka Aviation Heritage Centre. Very nice. Now, um, tasty treats, please, in this little town. Well, very close to Omaka, if you're feeling a bit peckish, you must go to the Burley. It is a gourmet pie bakery, and people uh, travel from far and wide across Marlborough to go to the Burley for their flaky pastry goodness. Um, I had the sweet pork belly pie, which was superb. Uh, the steak and blue cheese pie, I had to buy one of those for later. Sounds nice. And that was really good. But the best of all, and I went back for this the following day, the spicy Jamaican lamb pie. Oh, my goodness. That is best in show. Um, also, if you like your chocolate, Makana Convections. They've got like the sister store to the Akiri Kiri store. Uh, in Blenheim. Free chocolate tastings, lots of in-store indulgences there. Um, and by the way, if you do want more tips on roaming Marlborough, you can check out the articles both on The Sounds and on Wine Country uh, at fortheloveoftravel.net.nz. Just ahead, Mike uh, talks to the Regional Vice President of Qatar Airlines and we take you to Rotorua. Stay with us. Award-winning Qatar Airways is one of the world's most reputable and globally respected airlines, but of course no carrier has been immune to the ripple effects of the COVID-19 pandemic as it continues sweeping the world. Joining us to talk about the state of Qatar Airways, uh, the current turbulence and the future for the airline and global aviation is Qatar Airways Vice President Pacific, Thomas Scrooby. Very good to have you aboard, Thomas. Thank you so much for chatting to me, Mike. Good to be here. As one of the world's biggest carriers, and I know you have this ambition of being the biggest, how profound has the impact of COVID been on the airline's operations this year? Yes, absolutely. Uh, a huge impact, obviously, on the entire industry. Um, Qatar Airways was probably one of the only carriers who, who made the decision to continue to fly throughout the, the entire pandemic uh, and has really been positioning itself um, quite successfully as, as the, the airline that, that is taking uh, people home and getting people where they need to be uh, right now. So we've, we've repatriated over 2 million people uh, and slowly rebuilt our network up to, to around 80, 86, growing each day, um, destinations around the world. And certainly in the early days, we put on extra capacity to be able to flow passengers from, from New Zealand, uh, uh, home to where they needed to be, um, with additional capacity into, into both Australia and New Zealand. Um, and now we're still operating, um, into New Zealand via Brisbane, um, and, and our network continues to grow so that we're able to offer any um, remaining passengers the ability to, to be repatriated. This, this is 
a pandemic and, and a and a situation like no other for for airlines. And I think our proactive approach to addressing um, the problem ha- has um, has been posi- positioned very well in the industry. Um, we've really taken a, a position of proactivity uh, and leading role within the industry to to ensure that we're we're seen to to be able to support um, both the trade and customers. Um, Despite the situation, despite the the lack of being able to travel, um, unless you you have permission, uh, in, in a lot of cases in a lot of countries, we are um, we are there to support. Um, and and even though capacity and and demand has dropped so dramatically, Qatar Airways, you know, has done an amazing job, I think, to to ensure that we um, can still get businesses going, keep the economies still flowing, if it if it is still flowing a little bit in terms of um, you know essential business travel and, and cargo. Obviously, uh, all keen travellers have looked at horror at uh, some of the reports we've heard from some airlines as to the scale of job losses and pay cuts. Obviously, no airline has been immune to, um, you know, those sort of financial realities. What's been the situation at Qatar Airways? How severe have layoffs been? Yeah, it's been devastating for, obviously, you know, our friends in the industry across both travel agencies um corporate um travel and and airline um staff um globally uh, there's no one no one who has escaped this uh from, mm. from a Qatar Airways perspective we confirmed in line with the expected fleet reductions um which was 20% um that unfortunately we'd be seeing um 20% um of our staff uh, sadly unavoidably uh, as a result of the current situation, situation reduced, um, and and so we've been going through that process um, in head office um, for for over the last few months. Uh, certainly, from from my team's perspective down in in Australia, and New Zealand, um, business uh, still continues, um, and so the the staff are still um, working working throughout this. And I think that's probably one of the things that we're all most proud of is that despite the circumstances, we're we're not stood down. We are still fighting. We are still. Um, here uh, and helping helping the the markets and helping um, Kiwis get where they need to go if they do, and also Kiwis to get home, and and I think that's probably one one of the things that's um, most different uh, in comparison to to others, um, and, and one which you know our job our job changed overnight. We moved from a you know a sales and marketing operation fighting for bookings with. Uh, on, on every aircraft to, to area in the world to to more of a compassionate and a humanitarian mission um, to and working closely with customers who we never actually had very deep and meaningful relationships before and that that meant you know embassies or 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 groups of individuals or uh, of countries uh, members who were who were trying to get around um, or, or governments um, so so the roles uh, and responsibilities dramatically changed um, specifically for for us um, but I'm so proud of what the team has done. I'm so proud of 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 our continual mission um to to get people uh, around the globe um you know safely and securely um and and the airline is working at a, a, a tremendous pace um to to continue with this mission um and I think it was a it was a smart move by our CEO um and one which I think will uh, as as markets start to bounce back um will leave us in a good position um and certainly from a a customer perspective i think we've we've been in in a strong position um to bounce out of this um as one of the leading carriers as you mentioned before thomas the auckland service is currently uh flying to doha with that stopover in brisbane is it the airline's intention to eventually resume that fabulous non-stop service all the way to doha 
I would absolutely love that to to start again um, from a personal perspective. I think that demand right now is is the key to starting a service um, direct back into to Auckland. Um, and demand right now is, um, or, or supply right now, sorry, is completely controlled by governments. And so if and when that changes, um, we're ready to adapt uh, and, and change. And, 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 you know, that's that's an evolving piece that, you know, the, the caps inbound and outbound are, are changing. New Zealand has, has made changes to those caps. Uh, so same as Australia. And as and when those those changes happen, we then reassess our flights. We reassess how much capacity we can bring in, um, and then we we will obviously adapt accordingly. I think one of the fastest things we can we we do it, it you know that's one of the one of our fastest things that we can do. We can we can be nimble, we can be quick, and we can ensure that um, when when we're able to, we can bring back um, direct services like like you mentioned, uh, Auckland to Doha. I get the impression there is growing confidence that we will be able to get a COVID vaccine in the next six months or so. And I mean, even just in the last few weeks, things seem to have stepped up quite considerably. Do you envisage from an airline perspective that being vaccinated, maybe having a certificate to prove it from the doctor, may become a condition of carriage when flying internationally in 2021? I think that the inconsistency across countries is causing the industry a lot of pain right now. You know, every single day we have a different update from a different country telling that they have the different conditions. And so the inconsistency is really difficult to, to, to control. So if not just from, from an airline's, um, policies and procedures perspective, but for, but for also for the passengers. So whether you need that test, whether you need it in 48 hours or 72 hours, et cetera, that, that they, these things are constantly changing. We follow and, and adhere very strictly to WHO and any IATA guidelines to ensure that passenger safety and um, that they are uh, entering a country in, in, in meeting those conditions. Um, I, I don't think I can comment specifically on, on your point with regards to, to the vaccine, because obviously we, we'll take guidance from any governments or, or from any health um, divisions to, to ensure that we, we protect the customers uh, if and when those, those vaccines um, come available. I can talk specifically about what we're doing on board. You know, the, the, the safety and, and health of our customers is, is, is always been number one priority. You know, the levels of, of, of safety and security on the planes have been enhanced. The, the cleaning procedures that go through the crew all wear very, they all wear PPE clothing. They're wearing masks uh, and screens and those masks and screens are also given to the passengers. Um, the, there's a high level of, of cleanliness uh, already on board. The HEPA filters are, are hospital grade. The airport experience, um, although changed a little bit is, is, um, you know, is done via social distancing and low touch. Um, so, so the process of actually flying has changed, although the onboard experience from our perspective is exactly the same, um, predominantly, um, it's still a full service. I am running out of time, but just a couple of quick things. Um, the future of business travel and the future of leisure travel. I get the impression there is a lot of pent up demand uh, to take a holiday yeah. uh, when the when the borders start to open. What about for business travellers? Do you think that will bounce back? There's going to be some um, initial bounce back um, because there is obviously a lot of pent up demand of people trying to flow both from a leisure and a corporate perspective. Um, I, I know that from speaking to, to industry um, and business execs in, in both Australia and New Zealand. Um, there's uh, some key markets that want to flow quickly. So student market is ready to flow back um, in, into those universities uh, where they're foreign students are, are, who want to return. Um, and, and there's a lot of essential business travel that, that, that wants to go. I, I think that supply and demand will ebb and flow. 
slow um, depending on the market, um, but it but it will return. It will bounce back. the The question is, how much will it bounce back to? There's there's obviously some key markets that won't come back. I think, for example, um, senior citizens traveling in groups is something that we probably won't see uh, ever return to anywhere near the, the normal levels um, pr- prior to this. Um, but I think essential business travel will will be there. Uh, it probably won't be to the same level. I think most uh, leaders in aviation and IATA have quoted three three years plus um, before we will return to any levels post uh, pre-COVID. And beyond COVID, Thomas, um, obviously Qatar Airways has cultivated a very strong reputation for being leading edge, very innovative. You've got a very young fleet. Um, but that being said, I've heard that the A350-1000 is being eyed up by the airline. What's the latest on that and any other innovations coming down the pike? Certainly at the moment, we have parked all A380s um, and we're flying much more fuel efficient aircrafts uh, around. So we have 12 A380s parked. Um, We're lucky to have the A350s down here uh, on on all our routes with the Q-suite on board. Uh, I think our head office has uh, has delayed slightly um, the new aircraft orders um, till post-COVID, I think 2022. Two is the year that's quoted. The current business class product, the Q Suite, is still leading the way in the industry, um, and I think will definitely help in a post-COVID world as well with the with the closed doors suite uh, environment. Um, and I'm particularly proud of that product, and that's obviously winning a lot of awards mm-hmm. um, in the industry with Skytrax, etc. At the moment. Um, Beyond that, I, I'm pretty sure that we will continue to innovate in Doha. The, the Doha, Doha stopover experience is going to be a pretty amazing thing as we head towards the, the World Cup in 2022. Soccer World Cup uh, is held in Doha and, and, and Qatar as a country is really ramping up to be um, you know, a leading stopover destinations for, for Kiwis who are, who are going to be visiting Europe, uh, into the future. And obviously with a lot, such a long flight, having a, a high quality stopover experience, which, which is very cost effective will, will I, I believe become very popular with, with the market down here. Um, so look, I'm super excited to be back in New Zealand, even if it is via, um, Brisbane. Um, and I can't wait to get the direct service back um, post this um, COVID situation. And, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to working with the trade and all the um, consumers back in back in New Zealand as soon as possible. Fantastic, Thomas. Well, we will certainly keep in touch and uh, all the very best in these bumpy times. I'm sure the future will be brighter. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks very much for the opportunity. Look forward to talking again soon. You're with Kiwi Tripsters, and let's finish this edition with a sample of Rotorua's Spirits of Adventure, the thrills and spills galore. I think the last time I was there was about probably 15 years ago, Mike, and I'm guessing it's probably changed a bit. Rotorua is waiting for you, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really is, I think, the North Island equivalent of Queenstown in terms of... Things to do. ...it being an adrenaline destination. Yeah, I mean... Scenically, it's, you know, a beautiful place. But I spent a lot of time a couple of months ago uh, in the Redwoods Forest, which really is the jewel, I think, of Rotorua's uh, visitor attractions. And the latest addition in the forest is what they call the altitude experience, which takes you even higher up into the canopy than the original tree walk. Mm. So I would probably describe it as a mix of 
um, Indiana Jones and Tarzan because it's part abseiling and part zipline, this whole altitude experience. So you'll um, fly on three flying foxes. You'll cross 25 jungle-style bridges high up in the canopy. Nice. It is very, very cool. If you do have a bit of um, susceptibility to vertigo, you may freak out. I would just bear that in mind. But you've got lots of, you know, professional trainers and guides all around you. It's brilliantly designed and you get such a great appreciation of the forest floor and all the ferns and the fungi. Um, If you want to keep it a bit lower than that, the original Redwoods Tree Walk uh, is still very, very popular Um, and, and it's still the world's largest suspended walkway um, in a forest. Mm. And, of course, you can do it by day. You also need to do it at night because at night, the nightlight spectacle of the Redwoods Tree Walk is just so enchanting. It is like a giant Christmas tree. I was in seventh heaven, and you've got all of these beautiful sort of like chandeliers mm. dangling from the trees. Well, now um, we're talking. This sounds artworks. nice. It is imagine, yeah. just very, very cool. Now, the mountain bike tracks, I know you're a bit of a mountain biker these days, Mike. You're a big adventurer. You, there's a... Some amazing ones now. Absolutely. And the Redwoods Forest uh, joins with Whakarewa Rewa Forest. Excuse me. Um, <laughs> the mountain bike tracks are absolutely superb in Rotorua. I think what gives them the edge over a lot of mountain bike parks and trails is the fact that the tracks have a rock-hard pumice base, so they're super porous. So when it rains... Mm those tracks don't turn to mud. The rain just runs off them and it's like a concrete wow. track. So, yeah, from from a mountain biker's perspective, riding them, it's just um, so much easier when you're not having to contend with muddy tracks. The rain does just bounce off them. You will not strike a boggy trail uh, in Rotorua. Isn't that cool? Yeah, and I think that's why uh, the mountain bike trails are so revered. And you've got over 140 kilometres of forest mountain biking tracks to choose from. That's really cool. Um, It is really good fun. Uh, Tell us about the New Zealand River Jet and the Squeeze. Yes, I didn't know if I'd be able to cope with this, but about half an hour south of Rotorua, New Zealand River Jet operate this very high adrenaline experience on the Waikato River, and it's called the Squeeze Trip. It's about a three-hour experience, Mm. Um, and before you get to the Squeeze, you will actually zip through the Tutuko Gorge on the Waikato River, which is absolutely gorgeous. I thought I was in Utah because you've got these (laughs) soaring canyon walls uh, rising up either side of you. It's just fabulous. And you can actually see natural caves in the cliff faces, which were once reserved as the burial chambers for tribal chiefs in the area back in the day. I don't know how they got them up there, though. That was the only thing I couldn't work out. I don't know if they had some rope ladders, but um, just amazing, these little natural caves. And then shortly after the gorge, the prize draw is this weird rock formation called the squeeze. So this is where you get out of the jet boat and you wade through a stream in waist-deep water. But of course, being in the Rotorua region, the water's like 
bath warm. Nice. That's and what it's I like. Just incredible. But then you have to negotiate your way through these narrow crevasses and climbing boulders. I felt like Maxwell Smart and I thought these are all just going to close in on me. I felt like I was going to be, you know, squeezed by the competing boulders. But um, it's worth the effort because at the end of this is this magnificent hot water geothermal waterfall. So you just stand under the waterfall and it's like a gushing fire hydrant of bath warm water. I need to look at these things. This sounds really, really cool. It was so cool. Um, Actually, I want to ask you about the accommodation, but we'll talk about that shortly because I'm Mm. wanting to know whether that will be cheaper because last time I was there, uh, because everything's geothermal, you think the power bill won't be as much. Anyway, we'll get to that Mm. shortly because I want to take you back though to the river because it is rich in a lot of Māori history. It is. I found it absolutely engrossing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just thought I'd share a couple of uh, anecdotes that Cam, my jet boat driver, uh, shared with our group. Mm -hmm. Um, Just before the Tutuko Gorge, there was this stretch of open farmland flanking the riverbank and Cam said to us that Shortly after World War II, there was a farmer who was clearing the land on this property and he unearthed hundreds and hundreds of Maori skeletal remains from a burial pit that was on his farm land. So he stacked up all of these skeletal remains onto a nearby hill, Mm. which you can also see on this jet boat ride. Unfortunately, of course, all of these skeletal remains were exposed to the elements, and I'm sure any Maori person would tell you what he did, the farmer, was not the right thing to do mm. with the remains of, you know, people of the past. To make matters worse, his two sons thought it would be a great idea to use some of the skulls from the hill that Daddy had put on there as target practice. Oh. And after indulging <laughs> in such... Good. A grossly insensitive pursuit, both of these sons mysteriously died within six months of each other. Isn't that weird? Wow. Yeah, sort of like Makatu, cursed. Um, There's probably something in that, you know. Well, it was interesting because Cam said that whenever he passes that stretch of river or that farmland um, at night uh, and enters the Tutuko Gorge, often he'll notice sort of like a a, a certain something Presence. in the air. Mm. And he has also noticed, he reckons, the way the mist will form in that area is really weird. So there'll be a certain pocket of the river where uh, like fingers of mist will cloak it and then 10, 15 metres further down the river, boom, you're back into clear open air and you won't see mist again for the rest it's of the weird. ride. Isn't it interesting? Weird. Yeah. But no, it's probably quite a, a majestic and relaxing experience, though, yeah. if, you, if you're doing it the right way. True. Um, the thermal soak, I mean, there are so many opportunities here. Yeah, uh, there are. And if you've been to the likes of the Polynesian Spa in Rotorua, you'll know that it can get very, very busy. It's beautiful, mm. but busy. If you want a more low-key experience, very close to the river jet base on the Waikato River, when you're making your way back to Rotorua, about 10 minutes north, uh, the Waikiti Valley... Uh, their thermal pools are absolutely superb. They're actually home to New Zealand's largest single source of pure boiling water. It's it's called the Manaroa Spring, and there's a little walk you can take from the hot pools to see the spring um, as it hisses away, you know, coming up from the ground. It's quite cool. But, yeah, it's a really nice alternative 
thimble pool uh, complex if you want something a little bit more relaxed. Okay. Uh, speaking of the sort of where you can stay, yeah. um, now I don't know whether this is true or not, but I would have thought power bills in Rotorua would be quite low given the fact that there's so much geothermal activity <laughs> there and therefore that probably makes the accommodation more reasonably priced. Am I right or am I wrong? You could possibly be right but you're probably wrong <laughs> because when there's money to be made in tourism there's that's money to it. be made yeah that's fair the, okay well I'll, I'll let them pass on from, that from a domestic traveler point of view chris mm-hmm. the good thing is uh the age of covid has absolutely slashed accommodation rates in rotorua because they're not getting the internationals mm. i uh, was just checking out the website a week or so ago going into like you know school ho- even school holiday periods mm. The overnight um, accommodation rates are incredibly cheap compared to a year ago. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah. Because I was looking at price on the West Coast recently of New Zealand. Yeah. Really pricey. Really? Back up to what I would call international prices. Yeah. There is a huge amount of accommodation in Rotorua. So Mm. obviously it comes down to supply and demand. Uh, Of course. Yeah. So to get bums on seats in Rotorua, you're going to need a lot of people to fill those rooms, which is, I suspect, why overall their prices have been consistently low this year. Okay, that's fair because I was looking at some isolated places on the West Coast where there's probably about one or two places. That probably makes a difference. I'll tell you something spooky. There's a little Mm -hmm. connection when it comes to pandemics. I stayed at the Prince's Gate Hotel, which is that – uh, really old historic oh, uh, yeah. hotel by Government Gardens. The Prince's Gate was first assembled in Waihe, right, in the 1890s, mm. but then it was relocated to Rotorua after serving as a hospital during the Spanish flu pandemic. Wow. So from one pandemic to the another. Next. Yeah, mm. it's seen a lot of history. Beautiful little hotel. Yeah. Okay, that sounds amazing. Well, it sounds like Rotorua is a really great place to go and having Certainly a, a domestic yep. local holiday, right? Definitely, yep. Okay, I'm going to give it a go. Um, that is our show. It's been too long, 15 years. I need to go back, don't I? You do. Okay. They're waiting for you. <laughs> Who? <laughs> the locals. Oh, okay, just making sure not the the... The, the remains near the... No, the bee. remains are... The squeeze is definitely waiting for you, Chris. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to check out our Facebook page. Like us there. The show notes are available on the website as well at kiwitripsters.co.nz. Plus, we'd love you to rate and review Kiwi Tripsters on the podcast service of your choice. And we'll catch you again in a couple of weeks for a fresh episode. Take care. Take care, everyone. And that's a wrap for this episode of Kiwi Tripsters. Liked what you listened to? Then join us for our next episode of Kiwi Tripsters, where we bring you more travel inspiration, giveaways, and insider knowledge with expert guests on the show. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, and visit us on kiwitripsters.co.nz. But most importantly, subscribe and comment on Apple Podcasts, and tell us what you think of our show. Till next time, safe travels. Safe travels.